This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 43. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 43 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Hello. Hello, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning. So today we're speaking with attorney Peter Marr. Peter Marr is a school attorney at Shipman and Goodwin LLP based in Hartford, Connecticut where he represents and counsels public school districts in Connecticut in all aspects of school law, including special education, Section 504, student discipline, bullying and discrimination harassment, student records, student data privacy, school board governance and policy, school security and safety, and labor and employment issues. So all the things we deal with on a daily basis. (laughs) Peter frequently presents on various school law topics and provides professional development training for school personnel. Before obtaining his law degree, he taught special education as a lead teacher at the Centennial School of Lehigh University, not too far from us. Um, Centennial is a state-approved private special education day school in Pennsylvania, and it's nationally recognized for its use of positive behavioral interventions and supports with students with significant emotional and behavioral disorders and autism. So a bit of a Lehigh Valley connection here. Absolutely. absolutely. Welcome to the show, Peter. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. All right. So to start off, tell our listeners a little bit about your practice, your experiences with special education issues in public schools. Sure. So I'm a school attorney. I represent public school districts in Connecticut. Uh, The firm that uh, I'm a part of, Shipman and Goodwin, is based in Hartford, but we have a a statewide practice. And um, we try to take a a proactive approach uh, for for our clients and try to uh, understand their needs and proactively counsel them about how to avoid disputes. Um, we represent over 125 school districts in Connecticut, so we uh, have the the luxury of uh, of hearing things and counseling on a number of different topics, and and then uh, providing that information and knowledge uh, to the rest of the our clients as well, and, and using that experience. Um, a large part of my practice is special education law, so I do a lot of counseling and special ed for during IEPs. Um, 504, student issues related to those uh, matters as well. Um, And uh, one of the parts of my practice that I enjoy the most is um, doing professional development training and things like this where I get to connect with educators and leaders and um, try to develop, um, you know, and understand what they need and, you know, use that proactive approach um, and and that build that capacity and that skill set to avoid legal so I, w- I would say that 
you know, most of our attorney usage around here is probably around special education. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've got some HR opportunities to, to inquire from the solicitor, but pretty much a lot of it is special education, and that's really what we want to focus on today. So looking at today, we're going to focus on FAPE, um, Free Appropriate Public Education. And can you talk to us a little bit about what FAPE is, who's eligible for it, and why it's relevant to educational professionals and um, the students and their families? Sure. So FAPE, or Free Appropriate Public Education, is really the heart of special education. Um, under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is the federal law that governs special education. That law provides grants to states um, to provide some help with assistance for special education. And those grants are in turn um, then uh, turn around to local education agencies. But under the IDEA, when a student meets the eligibility standard for special education, they have to have one of 13 enumerated disability categories ranging from anything from um, deafness, hard of hearing, to autism, traumatic brain injury, specific learning disability, autism, another health impairment, um, any one of those 13 categories. And then if they meet one of those 13 categories, and then by reason of that disability requires special education and related services, then they qualify for an individualized education program, or an IEP. There are a lot of acronyms in special education <laughs> law, um, as, as you may know. But essentially, once a student qualifies, a team of individuals includes school personnel, the parents, uh, called an IEP team, get, to do, get together and develop um, an educational plan for the student. And the idea behind that is that when all relevant stakeholders are participating in that process and reviewing the relevant information, then they're going to arrive at an individualized, appropriate education. Um, and so the district's obligation is to provide a free, appropriate public education. And sometimes people get stuck on is the, the A in FAPE, the appropriate, mm -hmm. um, because reasonable, reasonable people can disagree about what is appropriate for any given student. Um, the law itself, the IDA, is very unhelpful in kind of prescribing what a school district has to do. So instead, it provides a number of procedures that school districts have to follow with the idea that if you follow those procedures, um, then you would arrive at the right substantive idea. So FAPE is comprised of two components, um, complying with the procedures, which means including parent uh, participation and getting IEPs and evaluations done on time and making sure that all the relevant people are involved in that process. And then two, arriving at an appropriate substantive program, uh, an appropriate IEP. So despite some of the ambiguities in the sort of wiggle room uh, of that, what, what might be some of the key ideas that we as educational leaders should consider in regard to FAPE? So I think it's important for, for school leaders and, you know, going even uh, lower down to the school staff to understand what the, the legal parameters around this area are. I mean, nobody wants, you know, goes to teacher school to um, have to be inundated with paperwork and, and regulations and um, all of these things, but it is a, a reality of, of this area of education. Um, and I think one has to be not an expert, but certainly well-versed enough to identify potential issues that may arise. Um, and one of those areas that you know administrators and, and school staff should be familiar with is what um, the Supreme Court and courts around the country have said when they're interpreting various cases. And for a long time, the, the 
hallmark seminal case um, about fake was the Rowley case from 1982. And that case looked at a student who had a hearing impairment and was uh, seeking um, a dispute resolution about what an appropriate interpreter service was or what kind of accommodations were necessary for her. And the court said that as long as an IEP is reasonably calculated to confer some educational benefit, then the school district has met its obligation. So that was kind of the standard that we used for uh, close to 35 years. But recently, last year, almost a year ago, mm -hmm. um, the Supreme Court took another look at that issue and clarified that standard from Rowley um, in the Andrew F. case, Andrew F. versus Douglas County School District, um, clarified that standard and said that an IEP has to be reasonably calculated to enable a child to make progress appropriate in light of the child's circumstances. So that's a mouthful. And it's not, again, abundantly clear what that means in practice, what that means for your special education teacher or your related service providers. But we know that it has to be reasonably calculated, which means that it's based on the best information you have at the time that you come together with a reasonable plan where you think a student's going to be able to make progress um, in certain areas. Um, but the court also made other observations that the program has to be appropriately ambitious in light of the child's circumstances. So from that, we understand that the court is looking for something that is more than trivial, mm -hmm. uh, more than de minimis, it has to be meaningful and ambitious, but that's going to depend based on that student's needs. Mm -hmm. A student with a significant cognitive impairment, what that ambitious program might be, might be very, very different to someone who has a mild learning disability. Um, and so the idea is there, there's no one prescribed plan or program, and that's what makes it difficult. But when you start to understand some of these um, observations by the court and how they interpret other cases, you start to kind of get some um, guidance um, to help you make decisions and analyze a particular case. Um, it's important that the, the court also observe and Andrew F. the school officials have deference. The courts will give deference to school officials. Um, but that's only conditioned and premised on the idea that the school has to cogently be able to explain why it is making a certain decision. So again, this is very, very high level, you know, when we're dealing with these abstract concepts of FAPE, but as school administrators or school leaders, what is important is that that is operationalized enough and systems are put into place for your staff to understand how to collect the right data, how to communicate well with parents, how to avoid surprises, how to track progress. Um, and then that's what it looks like from a, a practical perspective. Mm -hmm. So certainly um, there are implications with not providing FAPE for our students. Um, what are some of those implications beyond, you know, not helping that student achieve the ambitious goal that we should be setting, but what are some of the legal implications of not providing FAPE? Sure. So um, when there's a dispute, um, whether it be because a parent disagrees that the district has been providing FAPE or, or some other aspect of the, the special education process, that parent can do one of a couple of things. Um, he or she can file a state complaint with the State Department of Education, mm -hmm. and they could investigate whether the district has been complying with its procedures and has been um, providing an appropriate program to the student. Um, the other alternative is a parent can file for an administrative due process hearing, which is, um, for those of you who are not familiar with, with that type of a process, it's informal in the sense that it is not yet in court, but it is formal enough in that both sides um, present documentary evidence, 
uh, provide witnesses, there's cross-examination of witnesses, and it's a, like a little mini trial. Um, and depending on who you talk to throughout the country, it could range from a couple of days to here in Connecticut, they, I'm guessing they average about seven to eight days oh, per wow. hearing, which is um, long, it is costly, um, it certainly is um, unavoidable in some cases, but it certainly doesn't help in um, repairing or that relationship with parents or <laughs> collaboration uh, because it becomes adversarial. Um, and so the key is to avoid that situation um, and to work with parents to try to come up with some resolutions and um, plans to avoid that piece because if a district goes to due process, um, even if they win, um, and I use that word um, with hesitation because there are really no winners, I think, once you get to that process. Um, but if the board prevails, um, it's spent a lot of time and money with substitute coverage. So its own staff can be there and testify. It's paying its own district lawyers or solicitors. Um, and then if the district doesn't prevail, then it is faced with um, some type of remedy. And the hearing officer has pretty wide discretion about what kind of remedy that might look like in your area. Um, the, the prevailing remedy tends to be what we call compensatory education. Um, and it takes a look at, you know, how many hours you did not provide uh, a free appropriate public education and multiplies that by some going rate about what that would cost to have a certified person provide those services and converts it into either a number of hours or a monetary award um, that can be used for educational services. So that becomes costly. Um, a student may choose to unilaterally enroll or a parent may unilaterally enroll the student in a private placement and then seek tuition reimbursement from the school district. That could be costly. And then on top of that, um, if the district doesn't prevail, then they are liable for the attorney's fees on the parent side um, based on whatever the prevailing rate in that area are too. So it's costly both in terms of time, resources, and money. Um, and that's why um, it's it's fairly rare to get all the way to the process. Most cases will resolve at a, at a lower level. Um, but again, it's even if a district were to prevail, it's, it's certainly not the preferred method mm -hmm. of demonstrating that you have an appropriate program. Mm -hmm. And can you share um, an example or a time or some thoughts on a district being the side pursuing due process versus the parents? Um, you've sort of expressed it, at times parents may be in disagreement, so they'll they'll pursue due process under what conditions or um, you know what possible situation might a district be the the initiating party? Sure. So the IDA certainly does provide that school districts may be the party that initiates due process hearing, and a school district might do that for a number of reasons. It's still pretty rare um, for the district to do that. Um, but one of the, uh, the primary uh, reasons why a district might file for due process is to, if a parent is asking for an individualized educational evaluation or an IEE, um, then the IDA says you can either fund that IEE if the parent's disagreeing with the district's evaluation, or if you don't want to pay for that second opinion that the parent's asking for, then the district itself has to file for due process to defend its evaluations. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not necessarily, it's related to FAPE, but not, you know, FAPE specific in that situation with an IEE. So that's, that's probably the, the scenario in which I see the most often when a, a district is filing for due process. But there are other situations as well. Um, in these um, times when um, school security and mental health are at such at the forefront, um, we're all certainly aware of headlines and, and things about school safety. Um, 
the IDA also allows uh, districts to go to due process if a parent is not in agreement to consent to an evaluation. Um, and sometimes when there is, um, you know, it's really not a safety issue. It's just a, a matter of philosophical difference. A district may not pursue that. Mm-hmm. If, a, if a parent doesn't want to have the district reevaluate the student or evaluate the student, then that just might be, you know, a, a parental choice and we move on with working with the parents the best we can. But in certain circumstances where the district really feels that it needs that evaluative information, then it may go to due process to override that lack of parent consent for that evaluation. So that's another scenario um, that happens from time to time. Um, the IDA does not allow districts to go to due process to um, require parents to consent to special education services in general. So it's really limited to the evaluation piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, that might be um, something that a district needs to do in order to know what the risk of a student is, what the safety concerns are, um, and that type of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and third, a district, it's certainly conceivable where a district will file for due process to essentially um, prove that it's recommended program um, is appropriate, whether it's defending its existing program um, to kind of just head it off um, and get that uh, that hearing officer to give the the okay that what it's doing is appropriate in light of the law. Um, or if the district is recommending um, a change in placement, then proactively go to due process and get the hearing officer to give the okay to a change in placement. So it certainly is conceivable. I would say it's it's less common than a parent filing, um, but that's certainly part of the process as well. So FAPE is certainly a complex construct that we as school leaders um, need to be familiar with and need to, to know how to respond to and, and, and ensure um, so that we avoid those consequences that you mentioned, ensure that we are providing that free, appropriate public education at all times. Uh, so thank you for being here today. And before we wrap this up, uh, so what what are you working on? Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners at this point? Sure. Um, I am. It's a busy season here in special education world. Uh, we have lots of IEP meetings this time of year and, um, and getting ready for uh, new programs and placements. So I am uh, just working on keeping my schedule <laughs> um, a reasonable pace and in minds uh, throughout the state um, on legislative developments and, and developments in, in the law. So um, those are my immediate plans, um, certainly subject to change as, as things come up and, and clients have certain issues. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here, Peter. To learn more about FAPE and Peter's work, you can check out some of the resources in the show notes, a reference to the case law that Peter shared, um, some more information about FAPE, and also a link to Shipman and Goodwin's website. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, how would the leaders of your IEP teams define FAPE if asked by a parent? And what training and leadership are you providing to general education personnel to ensure students receive a free, appropriate public education? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 4, Episode 43. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Peter. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Peter. Bye-bye. Bye.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.